Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, it's almost Halloween and the fear of poison candy being passed out at Halloween is an all time high. No, but seriously, this is a real fear that's in the back of many parents, guardians, grandparents, and just adults concerned in general. I see posts about it on Facebook all the time. But guys, this fear is nothing new. In fact, it's a real urban legend that has lasted for generations. This legend is what gave Ronald Clark O'Brien the idea to poison his two children and three other neighborhood children on Halloween in 1974 giving him the nickname Candyman. When I hear the name Candyman, I will forever think of the 1992 movie Candyman. Oh. Okay, so before I get started, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your hostess, Haley Lira, and I love doing this podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and leave me a five-star review. And you can also find photos to coincide with each episode on my Facebook, Storytime Slayer, and my Instagram, Story underscore Time underscore Slayer. Now for a quick word from one of my sponsors, and then we'll jump in. So I have struggled with depression and anxiety most of my life. It has greatly affected my ability to work at times and connect with my loved ones. However, once I was connected with a licensed therapist, I felt so much better and found ways to cope with my anxiety and depression. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you too. BetterHelp has a broad range of expertise with over 20 thousand therapists in their network, giving you access to help you may not have available within your area. And it is so simple to get matched with the help you need. You just fill out a questionnaire to assess your specific needs and within 48 hours you'll be connected to a therapist. The best part is you can schedule your sessions over video chat or on the phone, whatever you're comfortable with. Plus you can exchange unlimited messages with your therapist and it's all confidential guys. Also, if you don't like your therapist or think they're a good fit, you can request a new one at any time for no cost. So join the 2 million people taking charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash S-T-S. That's betterhelp.com slash S-T-S. Sign up using my promo code to get that 10% off your first month, and I will have that link in my show notes. Okay, let's jump in. Sorry about the sound quality on that, but we just got to keep going. By all outward appearances, Brian was a normal middle-class family man. He worked as an optician, optician, and devoted all his spare time to his church and his children. Not only was Ronald considered a devout Christian and good person, he was described by his pastor as a quote, above average father, end quote. Wow. <laughs> so Ronald served on the church choir. He was appointed to be a deacon, and he also oversaw the church bus program. He and his wife, who I believe her name must have been Danine or Danine, it's spelled D-A-Y-N-E-N-E, they lived in a suburb of Texas called Deer Park with their two children, Elizabeth and Timothy. Timothy was eight, and I want to say Elizabeth was 10 or an 11-year-old. So it's October 31st, 1974. This was Halloween, obviously, and they're in 
we'll call it Pasadena, Texas. That's the closest like city that they're in. Despite Ronald never having shown a real interest in Halloween, this year he was ready. He was hype for Halloween. Despite it drizzling outside, he takes his two children trick-or-treating. Their neighbor tagged along and their neighbor's two children. So after trick-or-treating, Timothy asked his father if he could eat a piece of candy before bed. According to Ronald, his son wanted a pixie stick. That will later be questioned. Little Timothy had trouble getting the powder out of the pixie stick, so Ronald helped his son just shake it loose. According to Ron, Tim thought the pixie stick was a little bit bitter rather than, you know, the sweet and tart combination. So Ron opted to get his son a glass of Kool-Aid to wash it down. Timothy, though, immediately becomes violently ill. The eight-year-old is complaining of severe stomach pains before he begins vomiting and seizing. Ronald then says that he held his son as he was throwing up and convulsing uncontrollably. Then his son went limp, and that's when Ronald decided to put him in the car and take him to the hospital. Timothy, though, died en route to the hospital, and it had been less than an hour since he ingested the pixie stick. I don't know for sure, but I am going to assume with the story Ronald is telling everyone that everybody immediately assumed the pixie stick is what made him sick, right? But to be sure, Timothy's body, who was already deceased when he arrived to the hospital, is taken to the medical examiner. And the medical examiner said they immediately noticed the distinct scent of almonds coming from Tim's mouth. And for those that don't know, the smell of almonds is consistent with cyanide poison victims. When tested, Timothy had, in fact, been drugged with cyanide and enough to kill two grown men. This is an eight-year-old boy. So next, police got to retrace Ronald and his neighbor, Mr. Bates, steps that night when they took their kids trick-or-treating through the neighborhood to figure out where these pixie sticks came from before any other children got hurt. Some say that Ronald's stories conflicted about where the pixie sticks came from at first, but I can't find any record of what these variations were. The story I do know that Ronald ultimately goes with is they all went trick-or-treating as a group. Like I mentioned, it was him, his two children, his neighbor, and his neighbor's two children. And they all went up to this house, but the house didn't answer. So the kids grew really impatient and just darted off to the next house. Ronald either waited a moment longer or he just moved at a much slower pace than everybody else. Because according to Ronald, a man then opened the door and gave him five pixie sticks. Then Ronald takes the pixie sticks and he quickly catches up with his neighbor and all the children. And he gave four of those five pixie sticks, one to each of those kids. The fifth pixie stick, he gave it to a 10-year-old boy that he recognized from their church that was out trick-or-treating that night. Wow. Okay. So mysterious man only slipped his arm out the door to give him the pixie sticks. Ronald said he didn't see the guy. All he knows is that he had a really hairy arm. Of course, police immediately are like, whoa, we need to go collect these other four pixie sticks before they are eaten and any child gets hurt. Fortunately, the one given to Ronald's daughter, Elizabeth, and the neighbor's kids were not opened. However, that fifth pixie stick that was given out to the 10-year-old boy who went to their church, they couldn't find it. Yeah, his parents were going into a full-fledged panic mode when they could not get a hold of this pixie stick that Ronald had given their son. And here's the really crazy thing is not only could they not find the pixie stick, they eventually found it. It was with their son who had fallen asleep with it 
after attempting to open it, but thank God he could not get the staple out of the pixie stick that kept the tube shut. (sighs) So all four of the pixie sticks are recovered by the police, and they said that the first two to three inches of actual pixie dust was emptied and it was filled with just cyanide. And each stick had enough cyanide to kill two adults. At first, nobody really suspected Ronald of any wrongdoing. But police did get suspicious when they found out he had only taken the children to collect candy on two streets in their neighborhood. And none of the houses had been giving pixie sticks to trick-or-treaters. When police confronted Ronald about where he got the drug-laced pixie sticks, he walked the neighborhood with the police three times and on the third time he picked out and led them to the home that he said he had to have gotten the pixie sticks from ronald said the porch light was off when he and the kids knocked and after the kids ran off a man with a hairy arm cracked the door open just enough for only his arm to stick out and passed ronald the five pixie sticks after the kids were not there ronald insists he only saw the man's arm And, of course, nobody else is he putting in the area to corroborate this. So this is where Ronald starts fucking up because the home he took police to was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. And Mr. Melvin was an air traffic controller and he had not returned home Halloween night until after 11 p.m. His alibi was held up by literally dozens and dozens of people at his job. He could not have been home during the time Ronald was taking his kids trick-or-treating with the neighbors. So, we know Timothy was poisoned, and we know Ronald's lying about where the pixie sticks came from. Police take a deep dive on Ronald, and here's what they find out. Ronald was in serious debt. It is 1974, and he is $100,000 in debt. Just to put that into perspective, I did some internet research, and $100,000 in 1974 is equivalent to about $600,752.54 in today's currency. Ronald was also on the verge of having his vehicle repossessed, and he was about to lose the home. Why is that? Why is he so in debt? Because the motherfucker could not hold down a job. And the last 10 years, he had been hired and fired over 21 times. In fact, during the criminal investigation, Ronald would also under investigation at work and on the verge of being fired. So that would have been 22 times. Police discovered months prior to the death of Timothy that Ronald had begun taking out life insurance policies on both his children. Starting in January, he took out a $10,000 policy on each child. Then September of 74, he took out a second policy for twenty k on each child. And then he did that again in October, days before the poisoning. During the investigation, police were made aware that Robert actually called the various insurance companies to try and collect from the policies he had on Timothy the day after he died. The day after his eight-year-old son dies of a violent, painful poisoning, he's calling the insurance companies. Ronald's wife is believed to have had no idea about the insurance policies on the children, and she is truly presumed innocent. As the investigation unfolded, Ronald agreed to a polygraph test, to which he failed, and in the same breath, someone with pertinent information came forward. A chemical salesman who was a customer of Ronald's from the optometry clinic said that a short time before the murder of Timothy, Ronald had jokingly asked him about how much cyanide it would take to poison someone. 
looking back now, that was extremely suspicious. So police take that information and find out Ronald actually asked several chemical companies where to obtain cyanide. He did not purchase it, though, because for one, those companies only sold large quantities of the poison, like five pounds or more, and there would be a record of sale. After police spoke with friends and colleagues of Ronald's, apparently in the months leading up to Tim's death, Ronald did show an unusual interest in cyanide and curiosity about how much it would take to kill someone. As if his behavior and curiosities weren't suspicious enough before the murder, he was just as suspicious after. His in-laws actually said the day of Tim's funeral, Ronald was planning what to do with the insurance money. He had outlined material things he wanted to buy and even mentioned going on a vacation. As far as physical evidence goes, there was very little. They could never find where Ronald got the cyanide from. And as far as forensics go, they found a knife that Ronald had inside his home. It had like small traces of pixie stick residue from the actual candy left on it. They're believing that's what he used to cut open the pixie sticks. Of course, that's really the closest thing to physical evidence. All the other evidence is rather circumstantial. So November 5th, 1974, Ronald is arrested for one count of capital murder and four counts attempted murder. He pleads not guilty to all charges. His trial began May 5th of 1975, and it took place in Houston, Texas. The chemical supplier testified to Ronald's curiosity about the cyanide, as well as his other friends, colleagues, and relatives. As for Ronald's wife, she divorced him, and she too testified against him. She said that her son, Tim, did not pick out the pixie stick from Halloween before bed. It was Ronald who chose the pixie stick as Timothy's final piece of candy. Ronald maintained his innocence and said this had to have been a crazy person going around poisoning kids' candy. It wasn't him. The case became national headlines, and that's when Ronald was coined, quote, the candy man, end quote. The trial lasted almost one full month. On June 3rd of 1975, the jury deliberated 45 minutes before returning a guilty verdict for all charges, and it took them 71 minutes to decide if they were going to sentence him to death, and they did. They chose death by electrocution. His first execution date was set for August 8th of 1980. However, this date gets pushed back four times. And he was ultimately punished by death March 31st, 1984, a little bit past midnight. He died by lethal injection, though, rather than electrocution because Texas had adopted it as a means of execution in 1977 and they'd begun using it in 1982. It is said Ronald was completely friendless in prison as far as death row inmates go. They made it very clear that they detested him for murdering his own child. For his last meal, he chose a T-bone steak, medium well, paired with fries, corn, sweet peas, a side salad that had tomatoes and an egg to which he topped with French dressing. He also asked for iced tea with sweetener, some saltines, rolls, and a Boston cream pie. Ronald had 24 witnesses in his viewing room. His last words were that, quote, death penalty is wrong but it doesn't mean the whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I forgive all, and I do mean all, those who have been involved in my death. God bless you, and may God's blessings be always yours, end quote. It is reported that an 18-year-old Texas A&M student named Kim 
Manganero, who'd been talking to Ronald for six months, began weeping during the execution in like the observatory room and loudly said in a shaking voice, quote, Ron, I'll miss you, end quote. Almost 300 people gathered outside of the prison during the execution. And as the 24 witnesses exited the actual viewing room, the crowd was yelling things like, trick or treat. And they yelled, is he dead yet? At least 30 people showed up to oppose the death penalty and apparently candy was sprinkled on them. Ronald's wife went on to be remarried. Her husband adopted their daughter, Elizabeth, who is lucky to have survived. Anyway, guys. I know this was a short episode. Thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer podcast. If you're interested in bonus episodes that don't have any ads, um, definitely subscribe. Right now I have subscription through, app, no, not Apple, Spotify and Anchor. Um, I'm going to set up Apple soon. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye. Remember, subscribers get one bonus episode every month and... There's already a few on there. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.